he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. We are, for the next few weeks, talking about how to be people of grace and to enter into discipleship in that mode. I love that last hymn, as I was saying, Amazing Grace, and I asked Anna, I said, can we make sure to sing that song? That's a song that most often, um, when I hear it, most often when I sing it, it's actually usually at a sad service, at a funeral service. But it's always been written as a celebration of what God does in our life. And as much as when we sing this, sometimes it brings up the memories of when we have sung it at, at funeral services or at services of those whom we remember and love. The, the reason it's been sung so often there is because this song has been so meaningful for so long to Christians that oftentimes it's easy to say, this is a meaningful song for this person. Let us sing this in remembrance. But this song... John Newton wrote this song as somebody who, in the course of his life, and I'm sure you've heard this story, through the course of his life, was a very successful merchant bringing cargo across the Atlantic Ocean, selling from one country to another, very, very good at it. But along the way... He found himself thinking about his life, thinking about God, recognizing that, for instance, the reference to slavery in Romans 6 is an illustration and not a call to life. But what we are about to read when we read from Ephesians 2, that the grace of God intersects us at the darkest moments and the grace of God is extended to everyone. And so when he realizes that it is wrong for him. When the grace of God penetrates his life, it is wrong for him to be engaged in the trade of cargo that includes the slaves that he has been bringing back and forth. He, is abs- he absolutely realizes the depths to which he has descended in his own kind of search for taking care of his life, doing what he can do in this world, that he has absolutely destroyed lives. And so he writes this song recognizing when he says, saved a wretch like me, this is him just speaking out of the depths of his sorrow, knowing the sin he has been in, but recognizing God's grace is there. And God's grace is in there, is indeed there for all of us. In passages like Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10, which I'm going to read in just a moment, were so influential for him and have been for the church. It's perhaps the most popular verses in all of Paul's letter to the Ephesians for uh, Martin Luther. These verses would help kick off the Reformation as he realized there is something more than what is happening in my quest for God right now. And I believe we all have a desire for something more. It's a part of the human condition. We all often find ourselves saying, there's got to be something more. There's got to be a greater meaning, a greater purpose, something lying behind the day-to-day, what's going on that can kind of like help me understand why, why I am who I am or why I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Trying to identify a greater meaning in our life is a part of who we are. It's part of the questions that we have been asking 
forever. It's the foundation, indeed, for a lot of the faiths and the religions of the world. Even in the Old Testament, they found themselves desiring, okay, there's something where we want to know a little bit more about God. And so the desire, the thought was to understand who this God is, to draw closer to this God. There's a whole desire where we have to somehow conform ourselves to the order of the world, the order which this God has created. And so there was a whole pattern of how it is that we are to get closer to God by embracing a certain style of cleanliness, by embracing a certain style of wholeness, by, by embracing a, a certain amount of like orderliness in our life. And there was a whole system set up in place to help make sure that wherever there's disorderness, wherever there's brokenness, wherever there's uncleanness, wherever, wherever it seems like you might be not where you need to be to be able to draw close to God, there's a whole sacrificial system set up to help overcome that. And even a sacrificial system set up for the sin or, or the brokenness that might have occurred. To just help oneself present yourself before God to understand what it is He might have. To help you understand what your purpose in life might be. To draw closer to Him. Even to draw closer to the holy tabernacle that they had. In the Old Testament, the inability to draw close that kept them from discovering what God might want in their life was called sin. And so in Ephesians chapter 2... Paul's going to begin this letter uh, addressing sin, addressing a little bit of, of the problem and our desire indeed to be freed from that separation from God. That we might come to understand our place in this world, we might come to seek after God. And when you think and hear sin in this, in this message today, I want, you to not, I want you to think if you can more than just specific acts, more than just something done. Think Instead of all the adverse ways that we turn away from God, or we say my way over God's way. Because I, I try not to think of God as a vindictive keeper of ledgers. <laughs> like, okay, I got all your sins, okay, I got all your sins, okay, I've got all yours, and now we're going to make sure, you know, that's taken care of. Uh, I'd like to think instead, more generally of, Whenever and whenever life turns away from God's will and moves to my will. When, when, when my life moves away from God's desires and moves to other desires. There is an odd truth in the Old Testament that arises out of a careful reading. Despite finding that uh, they are seeking again and again to draw closer to God, finding again and again that uh, they keep sinning and have to do these sacrifices to draw closer to God, we find that despite the sin of the people, despite their continuing unworthiness, despite how unclean someone might be, despite how broken someone might be, we find that there is a God who's continually interested in who they are, that He keeps drawing close to them. This happens when there's sin. This happens when they're defeated. This happens when they don't have anything to offer God. This happens when there's been moments of unfaithfulness. This happens when they've been separated even from their land where they thought God would be. This happens when they, the very place they thought God would dwell gets carried away or gets destroyed like the ark or the temple. 
we find that despite all these various flaws and happenings throughout the Old Testament, we find that God finds a way to continually speak and draw them closer to Him, to draw them back into a faithful relationship, to draw them back towards repentance. And this will end up becoming the primary message of the Christian faith. Paul will say in the book of Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That our God is absolutely interested in who we are and makes the first move towards us before we have done anything. And I think all that background gets me ready to just those three verses I'm going to read for you today in Ephesians chapter 2. Starting with uh, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. For it is by grace you have been saved, he says. He says to the church, he says to the people of God who have been saying, okay, how is it that we are going to come to know this God? What do I have to do? And he says, it is God's grace that is going to bring you to salvation. Grace means this is an act of God. It's not a human act. It's not something we've done. It's not something we've deserved. It means God is seeking after us. The church calls this prevenient grace. It's a way of saying, hey, before you have been saved, before you've ever even thought about God, God has been at work in your life. God seeks after you even before you've come to rest in His embrace. Uh, conversation Jen and I were having on the couch. We were just uh, sitting together talking about, about the day or whatever. And uh, I said something to her. I can't remember what it was, but I said something to her. And uh, she didn't hear uh, clearly right away. So she said, what was that? And so I said it again, but right in the middle of saying it again, she says, shh, shh. I was like, wait, what? You just asked me to repeat myself. Now you're shushing me? I was like, wait, what? So I, I, I tried to say it again. She says, no, stop. Did you hear that? And I'm like, what? And then I listen. And I hear the most awful cry of an animal outside. And Jen says, oh no, I think foxes have gotten wheels. Wheels is the name of our cat. Wheels is an outdoor cat. We let him outside all the time. At night, he's often asking to get outside. He's always, he's always in and out, in and out, always meowing at the door. It's just one of those things we have to put up with. And so like, but he loves to be outside. And so uh, we immediately go outside. I got my phone on, I got the light on. Jen is saying, wheels, wheels. Now she was listening from the beginning. So she's like, I heard where he went. And so she goes where she thinks she heard this most terrible cat yow. And I know where Wheels' hiding places are. And I know where he likes to go when he's outside. So I'm thinking if he got away and he's injured, he's going to be one of those. So I start doing a circle around the house to some of the places I know he's in. So we've kind of split up looking for Wheels. Can't find him. 
Can't find anything. Can't find the fox. Don't know. So now I'm wondering, okay, okay, we knew an outdoor cat. This is why they have a shorter lifespan. But, like, today was not the day I was anticipating. And so, like, so I go back inside, and I ask, I ask the kids, I'm like, okay, did anyone bring the cat in the house? And they're like, yeah, I did. And then someone else says, yeah, but I let him out. I'm like, oh, no. Okay. So, so we keep, keep, keep seeking for wheels, looking for, can't find them anywhere. Finally, uh, Eric, or oldest, he was in our basement. He goes up to his bedroom. He says, oh, he's sleeping on the bed. <laughs> and so here we were seeking after. We don't know what, but we knew there was an animal in trouble. Of course, we thought it was wheels. And I, and, and I think of that story, and of course, that is the story of God's desire to bring his children in, that they would be at home with him, that they would be safe with him. That God seeks after us even while we are still hunted by whatever seeks to devour and destroy us. And we come to believe in our lives because God is at work, even before we believe, softening our hearts, working in our life. And our God does this even before we've come to accept anything that he's, he's done in Jesus Christ. Maybe sometimes we recognize it in our life. We recognize that something happened. There was an accident or there was a health scare, and yet God answered in some way, even though there wasn't faith yet. But we start to recognize, oh, maybe God has a plan. Maybe God has a purpose. Maybe there's something behind what is happening here. And in those moments, God is beckoning towards faithfulness, inviting us as his children into his home. It's there, there, there might be someone who doesn't share the faith, but we pray anyway because we know God is still at work in ways we can't see to soften hearts. There's a general superintendent wrote a book about this, uh, on a, about discipleship as a journey of grace, and he wrote this about the grace of God that goes before we are saved. He says, the prevenient grace of God knows no boundaries or barriers. The love of God relentlessly reaches even the most difficult, resistant, and hostile persons. They may never respond in obedient faith, but they cannot escape the pervasive presence of the God who will not stop loving and drawing them. This is a story about just how amazing is the grace of God who says, I know who you are, I know where you're at, and I'm inviting you into my plan, my future, and my purpose for you. When God enters our world in the person of Jesus Christ, he provides a way to God that we have been searching for. The God whom we look for, when we look for greater purpose or meaning. The God to whom all the hopeless cry out when there is nowhere left to cry. God, where are you? God, what's going on? And it's that God who beckons us yet again, who shows himself not to be distant, not to be so separate, but indeed to enter into our existence through Jesus Christ. And there Jesus is crucified, and he's broken and defeated. The one who, as Paul will put it, becomes sin for us on the tree when he dies on the cross. And we come to learn that the drawing near to God is not conditioned upon anything that we might do. Indeed, we find that our God provides His Holy Spirit to sustain us, 
to guide us, to shape us, to empower us, to be freed from the sin of this world and the sin found within ourselves so that we could be, as Ephesians 2.8 says, that we might be saved. And this is how I think we're to understand the word saved. It is to be saved from death, literally, and that we become recipients of the promise of the resurrection, that the God who raised the broken, cursed, dead, unclean, absolutely poured out, became sin for us, Jesus Christ from the dead, so we too will share in that promise. So we are saved from death. As we read in Romans, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. But also, more metaphorically, when we are saved, when earlier in Ephesians it says we are, we are dead in our transgressions, we are dead in our sins, we are saved from the inability to escape that which is wrong in this world. We are saved from the foxes of this world. We are, we are saved from an enslavement to fear. We can be saved from an enslavement to power and the seeking and grasping after more and more of that in our world. We can be saved from selfish indulgence to the various ways in which we cease loving our neighbor as God has called us to do it or the various ways in which we cease loving our God. And so Paul says we are saved and this and we are saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Now, I, I like this phrase, saved through faith, this not from yourself, it is a gift of God. I have, I have spent a lot of time thinking and praying about that last phrase, and this not from yourself. I find myself wondering, what's he talking about here? What is it that's not from ourself? On the one hand, I think it could be salvation, this is not from yourself. He's talking about the salvation that we've been saved through faith by. Uh, it would be like if I said, um, now normally when you say this, you're pointing to something. You're, you're pointing to something specific. Usually not a verb. You can do that. Like if I were to say, uh, I was jaywalking across the street and this is why they honked their horn at me. Okay, it's referring to a verb. This is doing that. So that can happen. Maybe he's saying your salvation is a gift of God, not by works. But I've often found myself wondering, what if it's referring to faith? Paul has this funny way of having run-on sentences. Sometimes it's hard to determine exactly what he's doing. What if, he, what, if, what if he's saying, even our faith is a gift of God? And I find myself thinking, if that's the case, if indeed we recognize God is at work in our life before we come to faith, that even my faith is a gift of God, then it means that when I look across the world at those who are still wondering, do I believe, don't I believe, should I believe, I don't know where I am in this, I still have doubts, I still have concerns, it means it's an occasion for us to be gracious. Because we don't get to say, well, I made my decision, and I've got my faith, and I made the right move, and now I'm on the right track. Why don't you just get in line? But we get to say, yeah, you know what? God softened my heart and has helped me to respond to that grace, and I know he's going to do that with you as well. It's an opportunity for us to come alongside people and not to walk ahead of them. It's an opportunity for us to also extend grace. 
I don't know. I, I'm, I still wrestle with that. Which one is it that is by grace and not by works? Could be a little bit of both. But I find myself loving that he says this is the gift of God. What happens to a gift when it's received? What happens when someone is giving you something and you've received it? It becomes mine, doesn't it? It becomes a possession. I like to think when he says it is a gift of God that there's a hope and there's an imagination that it will somehow stay as a gift. Think about that the last time someone gave you something. Just in that exchange, it's in their hand, it's coming to your hand. In that exchange, in that moment, it belongs to no one. It's just a gift still. Or on that Christmas day when you're looking out at the tree and you see the presents there and you know, you anticipate, well, that one's supposed to be for me. That's what the name tag says. But like... It's in this ambiguous state. It doesn't belong anywhere yet. It hasn't been handed to you. It has your name, but it's not yours quite yet. You haven't unwrapped it yet. And, but yet, it doesn't really belong to the person who wrapped it, right? Because it's under the tree. It's in this kind of weird state. And I can't help but think that the gift of God, the grace of God, I'm sorry, is always supposed to be in the state of like being a gift. As something that's always given, but always ready to be received, always ready also to be given back, to be shared with our world. That we are existing in the grace of God, always in a kind of moment of receiving. Um, the last couple of weeks, I, I got to see kind of like a visual example of this. Um, we had a couple, we've had a handful of different visitors over the last couple of weeks. We had our district superintendent last week. Jeff Barker was here a couple of weeks ago. And I remember at the end of the service giving the benediction as I always do. That benediction, by the way, I, I remember being reminded by a preaching professor I had as I was in college, as I was learning to become a pastor. He said, when you give the benediction now, this is what he told all of us, he said, you are extending the grace of God. Benediction is Latin, literally means a good word. It's a good word for the church after they've heard the good news to live out that good news in the world to which you are sending them. He said, so do not skimp on the grace. Don't do one of these little benedictions. <laughs> Don't do one of these. He's like, you rain it down on them. Give, them. give them the grace of God to go out into this world. I said, okay, I'm going to do that. All right. And so that has just like stayed with me. And, but every now and again I see, and I saw this over the last couple of weeks from the DS, from Jeff, every now and again I see, I see people hold out their hands. I want to receive this good word. I, w I want to receive this good news. In fact, I I'll encourage you this week, any other week you want to, this week instead, you, I, I know what happens. Benediction comes, like, oh, getting ready to go, pick up the purse, pick up the bulletins. You know, right? It's the last thing that happens in church. I remember sitting in the pews. And so, <laughs> and, uh, but the benediction is this moment where you're saying, I am receiving this, but I recognize I'm being sent out. And so everything that I'm going to be receiving, I'm going to be giving as well. And so as we go out in the church, everything that we give, everything that we do, any way in which we extend a hand to another, what we're really doing is we're extending the grace that we have received from God into a world that is surrounded by and affected by sin, but also a world that is yearning and looking for something more. Something that provides greater meaning and reason for who they are and what they are. And this is why Paul says in verse 10, we're God's handiwork. He's not falling back to the works righteousness because he just said you can't earn it. 
It's given through faith. But he says, and so we are God's handiwork to go about doing what God has called us to do. And so it's not a return to works righteous, but a call to reflect, to give, to share the grace of God that has been extended to us. A call for us to allow the grace of God to continue to work through us. That we might make this a prayer in our day-to-day life. That every breath would just be a way of saying, God, I'm taking in more of you that I could share more of you with the world out there. The church, our church calls this sanctifying grace. It's the grace of God that continues to make us more and more like him. That continues to conform us to his plan and his purpose. Say, God... Less of me, more of you. May your love continue to flood my heart that what comes out is love and nothing else. Where we say all my life is in service to you. And it happens precisely out of thanksgiving for the God whose grace has been amazing. Over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to talk about this and how we can find ways to be the people of grace in this world, to extend indeed hope, compassion, and a call to allow God to make a change and a difference in their lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing grace for the grace that has reached out to us before we deserved it, before we had any inkling of an idea that you were searching for us, that you were reaching out to us. Yet somehow, sometime, you opened up our eyes, you softened our hearts, you allowed us to kind of welcome you into our life. You allowed us to, uh, to just receive the grace that would save us and reunite us with you. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you continue to use us to be vessels of grace in this world. That we would, not, we, we would not so hold on to it, make it so individualized that it can no longer be shared. But yet we would recognize everything you have done for us, you have indeed shared and invited for the whole world. Thank you again, Lord, for your love in our life. And I pray that you help us to be faithful each and every day, to find ourselves turning to you and saying, Lord, I don't want the old way that leads to death. I want the new way that leads to life. Thank you again, Lord, for your salvation, the hope that you have, and the grace that meets us in every area of our life, wherever we are. Help us to respond and receive your saving grace. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. If you have any questions or would like to learn more about how Jesus can make a difference in your life, please email Pastor John at pastorjohn at capenazarene.org. May God richly bless you as you serve him today.